today, today we finish our wonderful journey through 1 Corinthians. The amazing thing to me is, you know, if you, if you really broke it down simply, chapters 1 through 14 were about all the behavioral problems of the church, right? And the behavioral problems, this is 2,000 years ago in the early church, uh, sexual immorality, pride, uh, boasting about spiritual gifts, you know, the whole list that we've studied over time. And the reality is here we are 2,000 years later and we have the same problems in the church. It's amazing. And then chapter 15 was doctrinal issues and we certainly have that in the church as well in our day. So uh, it was a great book, loved it, but we're going to move on today to finish it up. And if, if you would, please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 16 and we're going to work away from uh, verse 13 through 24, the end of the book. And uh, our brother Charles is going to open the word for us. If you'd please stand in reverence for God's word Amen. as he opens it up for us this morning. So, so Paul, he's concluding this, this letter to the Corinthian church. And I love this, this, this first verse here, the first two verses. Really, he summarizes much of what he's been teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. It's kind of like a summary statement of what you need to do to live the victorious life in Christ. He's reminding them of, of, of a, a very simplified version of everything he's told them about how to live uh, like Christ and to live victorious on the battlefield. So he gives them, you see here, he gives them five specific commands. He says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. So if we, if we broke this into five, five command statements, we'll work through each one of these. It's be watchful, be firm in the faith. He says, act like men, that means be mature. Be strong and be loving. So it's a great formula to, uh, to guide us in living the Christian life. So let's go through these. First, be watchful. Be watchful, that means be alert, be awake. Here it is. It's remember that you're living on the battlefield. Remember you're living on... This world is not your, your home. As the Bible tells us, we're aliens here. We're citizens of heaven, children of God. This is not our home. Don't get too comfortable. Don't be deceived that th this is not a battlefield. Be watchful. You know, if you can imagine a soldier on the battlefield just getting up in the morning and just walking out onto the battlefield without any preparation. Does that make sense? No, he's going he's to make sure he's got his bulletproof vest on, his helmet. He's going to check his communications. He's going to make sure his weapon's functioning. That, that's the picture for us, is we, we can't just get up in the morning and stumble out into this fallen world, think we're, we're at home and this is a place of peace and a, and a place that we belong. And, and if, we, if we don't get ready, if we don't prepare, if we're not watchful, we're going to get picked off. We're going to get picked off. So he says, be watchful. Now, I've already reviewed this for you a couple weeks ago, but we're going to dig a little deeper into what to be watchful for. We have three enemies, Satan, the demonic army, the world system, and we have, of course, our unredeemed flesh. We've talked about this, but we're going to drill down a little bit on this so we have a better understanding of what we need to be watchful for. So first look here, it says a very similar thing in 1 Peter 5, 8, 9. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, know that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world, 
And I added James 4, 7 here, Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So, so the picture here, of course, is Satan is real, and there's a demonic army out there, and, and he's roaming around desiring to devour someone, to, to kill them, to take them out, to deceive them, to lead them into sinful patterns, to destroy them in any way he can. What's that? Prince of the air. Prince of the air. Yeah, we'll get to that next, which is the world system. But, but th that is all around us all the time. And he will use anything he can to deceive us. He'll, he'll lead us into drugs and alcohol and sexual immorality. He might even lead us into good things. He'll, he'll start to give you success in the world and promotions. And, and, and pretty soon you, you can't go to church anymore and you can't go to Bible study. He'll, he'll, he'll do anything he can to, to deceive you and lead you into his plan for your life. And, and the point is, is if we're not watchful, if we're not alert, we will fall into those traps that he sets for us. And by the way, he's brilliant. He's powerful. And, and he will, he's very patient. He, he will low, lay these traps and wait patiently. He'll wait for somebody to graduate the mission. He'll wait for you to, to get out and start living a productive life. He'll wait for you to start to get settled in. And then he'll attack. Yeah. The other thing he likes to do is create idols in our life. He likes to create idols in our life. And I've confessed to you many times, it seems like I'm always finding idols that need to be destroyed in my life. They start slow, they start as a foothold, they grow to strongholds, they need to be destroyed. And idols are anything, by the way, we no longer worship these statues made of wood and stone, but it can be a job, it can be a relationship, it can be pleasures, it can be comfort, it can be all kinds of things. Some things aren't even necessarily sinful, but they become sinful because we start to worship them and look forward to them more than we should. So we have to be watchful. We have to be alert to Satan's plans and attacks on our lives. Now the second one is the world. The way I put this to you, what, what is our weapon to fight the, battle, the spiritual battle? What is our one weapon we have, offensive weapon we have? The Word of God. Thank you. The Bible. Yeah, the Bible. Thank you. The Word of God is the one weapon we have. The Word. Well, guess what? You know what Satan's main weapon is? The world. He's the world. He uses the world to attack us. That is his weapon against us. As, as Cacti already said, he is the prince of this world. He's in control of this world, and he's using it to deceive us and lead us away from God. And by the way, anytime we have an idol or, or something like that in life, Satan takes that as worship to himself. Because he's the prince of the world. So look at this verse here. Well, hang on one second. I didn't give you the, the good point here. I'm going to so this, this deal with Satan, I want you to give you an, an offensive attack. It says, be sober-minded. What does that mean? Clear conscience. Clear conscience. Clear. clear, awake, a clear mind. And it says, next he says, to be, to be watchful. We talked about that. Be alert. So you've got a clear mind, a clear conscience. Uh, and, and then it says, submit your lives to God. What does that mean? That means be men and women of the Word of God. That's how we get ready for the battlefield. So we've got this sober mind, this clear mind. We're watchful, and we're soaking in the Word of God and praying and getting ready to go out into the battlefield. Are you with me on this? And, and then, so this is right out of the Scripture here. It says, then we resist the devil, and he will flee. You don't bind him. You, you can't bind him. Don't be, believe in that. You don't bind Satan. You resist him and he will flee. You resist him. God's the one that has to fight those battles. 
And then it says the body of believers. Remember, you're never alone when you're being attacked. The whole body of believers is with you and for you. Stay grounded in the body of Christ. Have them praying for you and walking with you and helping you when you're going through a battle. Okay, back to the world here. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. That, so that, that's the picture, is that there's these desires of the flesh that, that Satan tries to entice and, and bring out of us. And, and the desires of the eyes, the eyes are the gateway into the flesh. He, he shows us beautiful things and beautiful people. He shows us drugs and alcohol. He shows us all these things through the eyes, which is the gateway into the flesh that elicits these desires within us. Are you with me? So he, that's how he's attacking us. And of course, the pride of life. Don't miss that one. We all think that we're something. Just like in the Garden of Eden, eat this and you'll be like God. Don't let pride rule in your life. We have to remain humble and broken before a holy God. And that's how we defeat the things of the world. And the last one is the flesh. Look here. Up here with me. Jesus said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's weak. It's weak. Mary and I can go out to dinner and I'm trying to diet. This is how weak my flesh is. I'm just confessing to you. And they plop that basket of rolls down. <laughs> and I'm telling you, Mary can fight. She's so much better than I am. And, and she's not eating gluten, so guess what? That's more rolls for me. <laughs> so the rolls go down, and then guess what? The thing I was going to order off the menu now, you know, I already had the rolls, right? That's just an example. The week is so weak. The flesh is so weak. Yes. And now my pants are a little tight. <laughs> so it says, so the flesh is weak. And look at this list from Galatians 5, 19 to 23. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. They're, they're, they're easy to see. They're right there in front of us. It's sexual immorality. That hasn't changed in a couple thousand years, has it? No. Impurity, sensuality, there's idolatry, sorcery, Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He said, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But look at the positive here. How do we overcome this flesh? But the fruit of the Spirit is is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. So there's the battlefield, brothers and sisters. Those are the three fronts, the battlefronts, and it shows you clearly what they want and how we are to defeat them. And I would say the greatest thing to remember is you have to be prepared for the battlefield. And you have to stay within the body of Christ. It's so much easier to pick off a Christian when they're alone. When they're alone. The other thing we need to be watchful of his attacks 
which would be in the world, will be wolves. Wolves in sheep clothing. And we've seen a sh a, quite a few of those in our church over the years. They come in, they profess Christ, but they're really here on Satan's plan. And we'll get at the end of the scripture today, you'll see a prayer that Paul makes against those. But they come in and they're winsome and they and they, they want to get your ear, but here's what you here, here's what you'll see is look at the pattern in their life. Look at the pattern in their life. Is there any fruit in their life? Is there focus the world or is it of God? You see? So you have to be careful. They may sound godly, they may look godly. They've seen so many come through the mission, quote scripture and all kinds of stuff. And and they don't know Jesus. They don't love Jesus. But what they're going to try to do is they're going to try to lead you away from God in any way they can. Right? They want to break your fellowship in the body of Christ. They want to pull you out of that. So be careful. Be watchful for wolves. Look at the pattern of life. Do they have a lot of godly people in their life? Do they know Scripture well? Are they, are they living it out faithfully? Do you see the fruit of the Spirit in their life? Or are they, are they just messengers of Satan? So here's what, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer about the world. Look, look what he says here about the world. He says, I do, he's talking to God the Father here. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. In other words, he's praying that we'd be left on the battlefield. But he prays for protection for us. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Do you see that? So the, the, Jesus prayed that for you, that you would be sanctified, that you'd be set apart from the world. And how do we do that? We're men and women of the Word of God. We're men and women of prayer. You know, I love that, you know, the treasury agents, when they hire new treasury agents, you know what they do for the first year? They study the real currency. They don't study the counterfeit. For a whole year, they study the true currency so that when they see counterfeit, it's easy to see. The only way you're going to overcome the world, the only way I'm going to overcome the world is i got to know the real thing. i got to know the truth. I've got to know the Word of God so that it will not be deceived. Amen? Amen. And that's what Jesus prayed for you, that you would be set apart and you'd be sanctified by the Word of God. Because when that happens... When we read, study, meditate the Word of God, the more we become like Christ, the more we become like Christ, the less the world deceives us, the more clearly we see God in His will, and the more we live daily in His presence. Amen? Okay, so let's be watchful. We've got four more. You guys pack lunch? So the next one is be firm. Be firm. And, and, and this word is immovable, unaltered, steadfast, determined in the truth. Are you with me on this? So this is your personal resolve to be a man or a woman of the Word of God. You're not going to move off of the Word of God. You're going to stand firm on it, right? You know, I was just thinking about it. This dates me a little bit. Some of you are too young to know this, but some of you probably got the right color here to figure this out. But when I was younger, TV was 2579. Yeah. I got some amens on that. And, and, when, and when I came home from school as a little boy, the shows you could watch was Andy Griffith, Dick Van Dyke, Bozo. Yeah, I don't remember Bozo. I know Bozo was on, but I think it was one. What's that? 
I agree with Jeannie. Okay, good. Gilgan's Island, let's name them all. All right, let's get them all out there. Don't be ashamed of what you used to watch as a child. But the, the point was, is if you remember television, they even had they even had censors on there. No foul language could take place on television in all those days. They would be fined. And I'm not talking about the language they use now. I'm just talking about words we would consider questionable. They would be fined if you used that kind of language. If you watched Dick Van Dyke, did you notice that Rob and Laura Petrie didn't sleep in the same bed? Now, I thought that was weird because my parents slept in the same bed. I said, well, are they fighting? But the whole idea is they didn't want to give any impression of evil, that you wouldn't even imagine them sleeping together in the same bed. The, the reason I bring that up is because we've already admitted that Satan is the prince of this world. Where is television at now? Do you think he's, think he's moved us a little bit to the left? Oh, come on. You can't, you can't watch a show without sexual morality. And they put sexual morality in TV shows when it isn't even necessary. It doesn't even fit within the context of the story. Just to get it in there. And they promote homosexuality. They promote abortion. They, they promote all kinds of drunkenness. That's where the real fun is. And so the whole idea is that what they're trying to do is Satan's trying to move his way so that we become more tolerant of these things. So that we don't stand firm on the word of God. We start to give in, and we, we give a little bit, and a little bit more. That's why he's bombarding us with all these lies. Yeah, and so here, here's the point is that what is supposed to happen in this fallen world is the world is supposed to influence, the church is supposed to influence the world. Are you with me? Yeah. We're supposed to be living so different than the world that when the, when, then the world looks at us, they're like, wow, that's different. That's the light. That's the truth. They really have love, joy, and peace. They, they get it. I'm drawn to that. But instead, what's been going on for the last 2,000 years is the church is conforming to the world. We look more like the world. And it's because we're, being, we're not standing firm in the Word of God. We're being deceived and we're slowly moving away from the truths of God's Word. So he says, be firm. Be firm in your faith. Don't move. Amen. Okay, number three here is, well, let me give you this first. This, first. this kind of reminds us what we study. It says, now I would remind you, brothers and sisters of the gospel I preach you, that what you receive in which you stand, you stand on the word of God, by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain, be firm. The next one is be mature. Act like men, it says. That means be mature. And what this is saying, brothers and sisters, is there are no secret Christians. Right? There are no secret secret Christians. We're to be mature. It means we're, we're to be standing up to the world and telling them the truth. In love. In love. But we avoid passivity. We assume responsibility. We lead courageously. And we seek the greater reward. Men and women both. And we don't just go along with the lies and the deceptions and the, and the bad stories and the bad jokes and all the other things, we, we are mature and we represent God boldly, boldly in this fallen world. Don't just laugh because you don't want to be persecuted. Don't just go along with it because you want everybody to like you. No, we stand up to it and we, in love, boldly proclaim what God tells us is the truth. And what do we do it out of? We do it out of a love that we desire these people to be saved. It's not about us. It's about the kingdom call and the kingdom work. So we have to be mature. I love Paul summarizing the whole Christian faith here. 
Here's a verse to go along with that. All scripture is, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, that the man and woman of God may be completely equipped for every good work. So that's how we get ready. That's how we are mature, is we bring the word of God to a dying world. And the fourth one is be strong. You see this? Be strong. Really what this word means is be strengthened. Be strengthened. Because we're not, we can't, we can't do it in our strength. We can only do it in, in the strength of God. You know the verse? Well, I'll put it up here for you. That's where you want to go? I like that. That's not the one I have, but it's good. It's a good one. But I think we all say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? We all know that verse. But look at the second Corinthians, what Paul's saying here. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You see that? It's when we deny self that we get the strength of God to lead us into the life he wants us to live. Did you save yourself? No. You, we can't save ourselves. We can't really sanctify ourselves. Yeah, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but it's God's power that changes us. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insult, hardship, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So he says, be strong. Be strong is denying himself, picking up your cross, and following Jesus, resting and trusting in the strength of God and the Word of God. Remember, the one that lives in us is stronger than the one that is in the world. He wants to empower us to, to be bold, to be mature, to stand firm. And at those moments, I can tell you, I've been there countless times, and I just have to pray inside of myself, help me to be strong here, help me to say the right thing, help me not to be a coward. Yeah. Right? Anybody else have those things? Yeah. yeah, so come on, Lord. Give it to me. I can't do this. Help me do it, right? And the last one is be loving. Be loving. Big, constant message to 1 Corinthians. Love. Love is patient. Love is kind. We learned all that. He says, in all these things, we must be loving. Let me just give you a few love verses here. I've been reading the heaven first John, so I'm a little first John heaven, but anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. First John 4 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And last one, oh, no one anything except the love to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Big deal. Let me just say the first four commandments, be watchful, be firm in the faith, be mature, be strong. All those have to be done in love. So I mean, picture this, to be watchful in love means, see, see the reason we're so watchful is because we love God so much and we love our brothers and sisters, so we want to be watchful, we want to make sure that we don't fall into sin and temptation, we don't want the world to have its way with us, right? Out of love. Not legalism, but love. We stand firm, we're unmovable because we love God, we want to be good ambassadors, we want to be faithful to this great gift He's given us called salvation, that we're so deeply indebted to. It's love that drives me to be firm. Love's what drives you to be firm. And be mature 
do you do you love the lost? Someone someone shared the gospel with you. Somehow you got saved. And if you really love God, then you're here about the Great Commission, and you will, in love, share the gospel with those that are dying. Love will change the world. And be strong in love. Helps us to, to deny self and uh, follow Christ. Okay, so those are the big five commands. We got those? What are they? Be watchful. Be firm. Be, be mature, be strong, be loving. Great framework for the Christian life. Now, he's going to switch into an illustration within the church to kind of show how it's being lived out. Stay with me. Several little bit more to go over and we don't first Corinthians. I could have broke this into two sermons, but we're on the timeline to get to first John, so we'll get through it today. So look at this. It says, So now he switches. He gave all these five commands. He goes, Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. You see this? So Stephanus was the first, the first people to believe, him and his family, in Achaia, which is southern Greece. That includes Athens and Corinth. They were the first, when Paul came on his missionary trip, this was the first family to get saved. Him and all the workers in his household, they all got saved when Paul came out there. They're the first believers. And he's saying, you know them, because they're, they're leaders in the church in Corinth. And so what he's saying is, what did they do once they got saved? What does it say? They devoted themselves to service of the saints. This is an illustration of this new life. He goes, if you want to see, because you guys are struggling with which spiritual gift is better and what are your Christian liberties versus your Christian You got to look at this family. They were the first ones that got saved. And what they did is they just began to devote themselves to the body of Christ and serving the body of Christ. They're not positioning for pride. They weren't appointed. They're not hired ministers. They were so overfilled with gratitude for their salvation that they just began serving the church. And this has gone on for years at the point that, that he wrote this. Amen. You want to know how to listen, live the Christian life? He says, follow them. It says, be subject to such as these. Put yourself under those kind of people in your life. Those are the kind of people you want to follow that are sold out to Christ. That was the illustration. Look here for a minute. It says, Ephesians 5 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's this idea of, as the body of Christ, as people step up and are saved and are passionate about God's calling on their life, we all submit to one another. Do you get that? We submit to one another. And look at 1 Peter. It says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's what Paul's trying to tell them. Stop quibbling over position and pride and gifting. Submit yourself to one another. Submit yourself to the Lord and start serving one another in the body of Christ. And what did Jesus say here? Jesus said that it shall be not be among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He goes, you want to know what the picture of church is supposed to be? You're all supposed to be submitting and serving one another in Christ Jesus. Yeah. 
And then he goes on here and he says, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Protonicus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence. For they refresh my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. Do you see that? These were leaders of the church. They were leaders of the Corinthian church and they're the ones that came to Ephesus with the letter from the Corinthian church that Paul has been addressing that we've been studying. Are you with me? These were leaders from their church. And they're surely the ones that took this, what we call 1 Corinthians, back to the church as a response to their questions. So these are leaders and they come there to visit Paul in Ephesus. And what, what happens? It says that they refreshed my spirit. They refreshed my spirit. That, that is a picture of a true born-again believer. When you're with true born-again believers, you should be having a refreshed spirit. And I'm sure you all work and have friends or neighbors or family members that are not saved. And to be around them is not very refreshing. I hear language in my office that makes me quiver sometimes. Right? People, you know, they don't refresh you. They, they discourage you. They, it's burdensome to be around people like that. And, and that's why the way you can tell whether a true believer is because if, you, if you're around people that are discouraging you, they're probably not really born again. Because the spirit within you will talk to the spirit within them. And it's always encouraging. It's always refreshing in some way. And, and sometimes they meet with you and, and it, you're going through a hard time and just being with them comforts you. You know, that kind of a brother or sister in your life? You just, you just have to be around them and it's comforting. They're encouraging you. Other times it's out of control laughter. It's just a great time of joy. You're with a brother or sister and you're just laughing, having a good time. Other times they bring a word that you need to hear. Right? It's a perfect word at the perfect time. And it refreshes your spirit. Sometimes it's a rebuke, right? A rebuke we need to hear, which is refreshing too. So, so he's saying they refresh the spirit. That's the kind of people you want to be around. We already saw that bad company corrupts good morals. You don't want to be around the people that do not refresh your spirit. They will bring you down. They will, they will drain you and set you up for a fall. You know, I love, I love coming here on Sunday. I do. For almost 15 years, whatever it is, I don't know the exact timing, but a lot of years. Because when I'm here, my spirit is refreshed. So many of you refresh my spirit. A hug, a talk, and even just watching you engage with one another refreshes my spirit. Same thing on Wednesday night. You don't need to be talking to me, you can be talking to another brother or two sisters talking together. My spirit gets refreshed. To see you loving on one another and encouraging one another. That, that's the kind of people you want to be around. Amen. Are you with me? Yes. Thank you. And you need to break off those relationships with those that when you get around them, you leave and you're just drained. You're, you could be angry. They're stirring up strife in your life. Don't be around those people. <coughs> and he said they not only brought, refresh me, but they refresh you as well. He knows what kind of people they are and the part they're playing in the church in Corinth. And it says give recognition to such people. We should encourage one another as we... Refresh each other's spirit. Okay, we're almost done. You're doing great. Just a couple more. You all right, everybody? We're, 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 we're rounding the last turn there. We're heading towards the finish line. It says, The church of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla, together with the church in their house, send you heartily greetings in the Lord. 
All the brothers said you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Do you see this? Now, let me just... The church in Corinth knew Aquila and Priscilla very well because they were with their, with Paul founding the church in Corinth. Aquila and Priscilla were. In fact, it's believed that Paul lived with them in Corinth for a year and a half as, as God used him to build the church. So he had, they had strong relationships with them. So it was good for them to hear that they were encouraging him. Then when Paul went to Ephesus, Aquila and Priscilla left and joined him in the ministry of Ephesus. So the Corinth church knew them well. So to hear, oh, they, they got a church going again in their house and they're, and they're ministering. And there's all these churches in Asia that greet you. And what he's saying to them, brothers and sisters, is you're not alone. There's a lot of churches out there that are faithful to the gospel. And it's good for us to know there's churches that pray for our little Bible church. And we pray for other churches that are faithful to the gospel. And you know, sometimes you look at the church and you say, boy, the, the church is gone. It's not gone. Some of it's underground, but it's not gone. There's churches, faithful churches all over the world. And we just got a communication from Uganda, and he's going to come out here, I think, January, February, but he gave us an update. They pray for us, we pray for them. These churches are all over. He said, be encouraged, Corinth Church. Be encouraged, Oasis Church. There are faithful churches that pray for you. That you would finish the race. And he says, greet you, another with a holy kiss. I think we're going to implement that here. <laughs> yeah, the hugs aren't enough. No. Greet with, a, greet with a holy kiss was something they did in the early church. By the way, it was men to men on the cheek, women to women on the cheek. Did you hear that? Yeah. That's the way it was, the holy kiss. Well, it got out of hand and was kicked out of the church at one point. And then they went to a warm handshake or a hug to replace that. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, this is probably confession more than anything, but when I was teaching fifth and sixth grade boys, I'd always get a couple of tough boys that didn't want to give me a hug when we started the Sunday school class. So I would bring the scripture. I said, you got two options. <laughs> Either I'm getting a hug or I'm giving you a big kiss on your cheek. And these little tough, these tough boys are just kind of, oh, they do here. I said, okay, now we got it going. Now we're, we're going to keep moving with that. But I would say that that's, the affection of the church is important. It's important to express even a handshake. We just did a greeting. It is important. It is healing and it is comforting. And people need that. But let me say, the hugs are primarily men to men. Are you with me? And women to women. Unless you have a relationship with these people. Because I see some guys come in here and they're new to the church and they're going around wanting to hug the women. You don't have a relationship. You don't do that. You can hug the men. You hug the men. And if you have a relationship with women, you can hug the women. If they want you to. Right? I just thought I'd clarify or give a holy kiss uh, standard here. By the way, this is what John MacArthur said. If you don't know him, he's a, he's a great Bible scholar. He said, in most of the church today, the danger is in showing too little affection rather than too much. People are cold and hard, and you don't know. Some people come in here on a Sunday morning, and they're very discouraged, and a little hug can go a long way. Don't miss that. And he closes with this. He said, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. He's just it's like a signature. Up to this point, he's been using a scribe. He said, now you're going to see that I'm, I'm verifying these are my words. Well, he writes this last part in his own handwriting. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. What does that mean? means devoted to destruction, cast out of fellowship. If anyone does not love the Lord, 
They should be out of the body of Christ, out of the church. And then he says, our Lord come. That's Maranatha in Aramaic. And it means, what he's trying to say in the context here is that if there's anybody in the church that does not love the Lord, Lord, take them out. Purify the church. They're going to cause trouble. Get them out of here. Maranatha. And then he greets him with the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you in Christ Jesus. Amen. 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 Amen.